sermon passage is Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Historical fiction, fantasy, sci-fi, sitcom, genres, right? Different genres of story, whether movies, TVs, books, TV shows. I wonder, though, if you've ever come across that subgenre called the coming-of-age genre. So this genre focuses on the growth of a person from youth to maturity with all the ups and downs that come along the way. Some famous examples of this subgenre are Charles Dickens' Great Expectations, Charlotte Bronte's Jane Eyre, Mark Twain's Huckleberry Finn. You can probably think of others. There's even a movie made recently called Boyhood that tracked all of this. In these stories, we see children become adults. We see the innocent become savvy. And we can all relate to that, right? Even if you're here this morning and you're still a child, we all look back to times when we were less mature. Our parents keep photo albums for that very reason. And they sigh and say things like, goes by so fast. The idea of coming of age, the idea of growing up, is exactly what the Apostle Paul is talking about in the passage Paige has just read for us. So we're in the middle of a short study through our new vision statement here at Loudoun Valley Baptist Church. That is that as a church, we gather, we grow, and we go. Last week, we thought about gathering together as a church. This week, we're focusing on the goal of our life together as a church, and that is to mature spiritually, to grow up into Christ. So here's a summary sentence for our study this morning. As the body of Christ, we are equipped in order to mature. As the body of Christ, we are equipped in order to mature. So let's take that summary and work through it piece by piece this morning. First, we are the body of Christ. You see that in verse 12 of our passage and again in verse 16. Now, this is a metaphor Paul uses quite frequently in his writing, but what's it supposed to mean? I mean, it sounds a bit creepy when you think about it. Being called the body of someone else? Good plot for a horror movie there, maybe. But in order to better grasp Paul's teaching as a whole, let's, let's zoom out real quick and remember the principal theme of this book of Ephesians. So throughout this letter, Paul teaches a doctrine, the doctrine of union with Christ. He, even, he often talks about being in Christ or with Christ. So, for example, back in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul talks about how each of us is in our sin is worthy of the wrath of God. But then he says that God made us alive together with Christ and seated us 
with Christ in the heavenly places, in Christ. If you read over Ephesians 1 later this afternoon, you'll see that phrase come up again and again, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. So what's the point, this point of union with Christ? Paul's point is that as sinners, we could never please God. We were actually God's enemies, anti-God in all our actions, in all our words, and in our very existence itself. And it was too late for us to please God in and of ourselves. We had already sinned. We were without hope. But what Christ has done now is he has lived the perfect life we were supposed to live, He has died the death we were supposed to die for not living the perfect life. And he's risen up to new life. He saved us now, not by just doing those things for us, but by joining us to what he's done. We couldn't do it. He did it for us and then joined us to him. So that was like we had actually done it ourselves. Jesus has taken everything we deserved, and now we, united to him, get everything he deserved. What's true about him is now true about us. We're accepted because when God sees us, he sees us in Christ. We are in Christ. In chapter 5, Paul uses the image of marriage to help us understand this more clearly. So think about a married couple. In our culture, uh, the wife takes her husband's name, usually, and becomes one with him. Uh, They are now one, though they remain distinct individuals. What belongs to the man now belongs to the woman. What belongs to the woman now belongs to the man. And in much the same way, we are the bride of Christ. He has joined us to himself, and now everything that's his is ours. It's as if we in him have been raised up, in him have been seated already in the heavenly realms in victory. That's how secure our faith in Christ is. Union with Christ. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, this may sound complicated, and if you're honest, a bit bizarre. And just so you know, we totally agree. This can sound crazy, but crazy awesome. This is not fiction. This is truth that our our only hope as sin-filled people to stand before a holy God who can't tolerate our sin is to stand not in ourselves, not as Jacob, not as Jeremy, not as Manus. We don't stand in ourselves on our own merit. We stand in Christ. He alone is our hope. He's our representative before the Father. We are saved by not just being given new life and then left on our own. We're saved by being united to Christ, being found in Christ. If you're not a follower of Jesus, he invites you to be united to him by faith this morning. Turn away from sin and turn in faith to him today. That's really the principal theme of Ephesians, this union with Christ. And so after just delving into deep, amazing glories of the gospel in the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul here at the start and through chapter 4 and the rest of the letter gets extremely practical. 
And he shows that not only are we in union with Christ, but we are in union with his body, with one another. So in order to illustrate that, he uses this picture of the church as the body of Christ, united to him and to each other. So just as a healthy human body has a head that's connected to a neck that then has working appendages and organs and vessels, and in order for the body to function properly, each of those parts must be working healthily. Each healthy part contributes to the healthy whole. So is the body of Christ. So are those united to Christ. Incredibly diverse individual parts. Incredibly linked together in Jesus. That's what Jim read for us earlier from 1 Corinthians 12. Another of Paul's letters. Where he said, just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. Like any great teacher, Paul uses this vivid illustration to help us understand what the church is. It's a body, united to Jesus as its head, all the growth and nourishment flowing from the head right? Following from Christ. And the body is incredibly diverse, each part contributing a different function to uphold the health of the whole. Pinky toes, kneecaps, hip bones, livers, lungs. We we actually even have lungs here at church, don't we, John and Jamie? Each part is important to a fully functioning, healthy, whole body. In the same way, each part of the body of Christ has a gift that builds up the church. You see that in verse 7 of chapter 4. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Diverse parts with diverse gifts serving the whole. As a church, we are the body of Christ, and this shows both our unity and our diversity. Our union with Christ and one another and our diversity within the body. So we are the body of Christ. Second sentence in our summary sentence. As the body of Christ, we are equipped. We are equipped. We see that there in verse 11. Paul writes, And he, that is Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Here, Paul is laying out distinct teaching roles in the church. He talks about apostles and prophets, two of the foundation stones for the early church. In that way, these apostles and prophets no longer exist in the church today. If you have questions about that, let me know later. He talks then about evangelists, those especially gifted to proclaim the gospel. They do still exist. And finally, he mentions this category called shepherds and teachers. So some scholars believe those two words describe a single position, sort of a shepherd-teacher, one di- distinct position. Uh, others see kind of a, a more of a separation between the two with an overlap. So all shepherds are teachers, but not all teachers are shepherds. But regardless of where you land on that, what we do know is that 
this category definitely includes what we would call a pastor or an elder in our church. That was the translation page read for us before, right? Pastors and teachers. That's what it means. We consider the role of elders a few months back when we were studying 1 Timothy. And we learn then what we see again here, that elders or pastors, those are the same thing. Elder pastors equip the church. As one author puts it, pastors are trainers, not CEOs. Pastors don't do all the work of the ministry. They train the members of the body, the members of the church, to do the work of ministry. Richard Koken, in his book on Ephesians, has a great illustration to help us think about this today. He writes, It's been said that churches can be like a soccer match. 22,000 spectators desperately in need of some exercise, and 22 players desperately in need of rest. Indeed, if we compare Sunday church to a soccer match, many people think of church as like a crowd of spectators, the congregation, gathering to watch expensive professional players, the pastors, playing the game. That is, doing the ministry of teaching and leading meetings, etc. End of quote. But then Koken goes on to show, using the same example brilliantly, what really is at work in a faithful, healthy church. In, in a faithful, healthy church, the players on the field are every Christian in the church. They're playing the game. The pastor elders are player coaches, playing alongside them as needed, during timeouts, modeling plays for them, instructing them, training them, leaving the spectators to be who? Who's the crowd looking on? It's the world. It's the lost looking on to see the church operating, playing the game to show the unity and diversity of the gospel, the unity and diversity of what Christ has designed, what will give him glory. Jesus has given specially gifted teachers to equip every single part of the body, every single Christian to play the game so that we together might be this fully functioning, healthy body. So let me ask, member of Loudoun Valley Baptist Church, are you being equipped? Are you taking advantage of equippers in this local church? As a Church, we are not here to be comfortable. You can go to another church for that. We're here to change. We're here to grow. We're here because we are so grateful for where the Lord has brought us, but we don't want to stay here. We want to press on and know Jesus more. So Jesus has, in his love, given us trainers in that growth process. Growth process takes us to our final and lengthiest point. So as the body of Christ, we are equipped in order to mature. In order to mature. So our goal as the church is to be transformed. To not stay as we are, but to mature. This is where the image of a body becomes helpful once again for us. 
Paul says there in verse 13 and following that Jesus has given leaders to equip the church so the church itself can build up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So church, as we strive together to lay hold of this one true faith that Paul talks about at the beginning of chapter 4, this true doctrine that we considered all throughout 1 Timothy, this true, one true knowledge of Christ, we're going to be changed. We're going to grow. We're going to be sanctified. Paul says we're going to reach mature manhood. Adulthood, spiritually speaking. All grown up. And ultimately, this will be fully and finally realized and fully and finally true when we meet our Savior, the ultimate mature man, right? The perfected, glorified new man when he returns. And we become glorified as he is glorified. It's like throughout our lives, we have those little tick marks that your parents might have put on the kitchen wall to measure your height as you grew. And we have those to measure our spiritual growth and, and throughout our lives. Those marks just gradually grow incrementally until we finally see Jesus and are made like him. This applies to us individually. So as individual sinners redeemed in Christ, our utmost goal and our utmost hope is to be glorified like Jesus is glorified in his human body. Jesus' resurrected body is what we one day hope to attain that's when we will be glorified with him. That's our final destination. Jesus' resurrected body. And what a day that will be. But I don't think that's what Paul's stressing here. In this passage, Paul is stressing not merely our individual pursuit of that day, but our corporate pursuit together. So together as a church, striving to be like the glorified body of Christ. He's called us to do that. Jesus has designed for us to reach our goal together as his church. See, you need other parts of the body in order to grow into the fullness of Christ. We need one another to become more like Christ dear friend of mine has called the church a greenhouse for spiritual growth. The, the temperature, the humidity level, the atmosphere, the light, it's all been designed and created by the master gardener to be conducive to our growth into his likeness. It doesn't mean the church is going to be perfect, but it does mean the church is there for you to grow. So, dear brother and sister, your faith and your membership in this local body of Christ here at Loudoun Valley is not static. It's not aimless. It's not boring. It's not dormant. As a Christian, you're on the move. Your destiny, listen to your destiny. Your destiny, Christian, is to be made into the measure of the stature of the fullness of 
Christ. So is your faith active like that? Is it headed somewhere? Or are you treading water in your Christianity? Do you find yourself slothful this morning? Kind of meh about your holiness. I found myself in that position this past week. I often do. I think many Christians do. By God's grace, I picked up the collection of Puritan prayers. I highly commend to you all the Valley of Vision and read a part of a prayer that goes like this. Blessed God, when sloth and indolence seize me, give me views of heaven. Heaven is coming, Christian. Are you growing towards that day, towards that goal? It's like that part in the movie where someone's trying to get somewhere and they're about to give up and then they see it in the, in the distance. It's coming. But we're not going to get there slothfully and lazily. Christian faith is active. It goes somewhere. There in verse 14, Paul reminds us that all Christians start out as spiritual infants. And he even puts himself in that category. He says, we were all children at one point, verse 14. Now, now, children are wonderful blessings. Jesus uses the example of children in the Gospels to show what our faith should be like. But Paul's not here talking about the preciousness of children or their faith. He's just using this metaphor of a body, this infant body. A body that is vulnerable and susceptible and undeveloped and immature. As Christians, he says, we all start out this way spiritually. And as such, we are in danger as baby Christians of being led astray. So he uses yet another illustration, right, of a boat on choppy seas. He says that as young believers, we are in danger of being tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Baby Christians are vulnerable to false gospels, to error. And so Paul's point is clear. We can't stay babies, right? We can't stay on milk. We need to grow. And just like babies naturally grow, right? Some of you are experiencing that. We're experiencing that in our house right now. So Christians must naturally grow grow. If you are not growing, perhaps you're not a Christian. As Christians grow, we will become less battered by every new challenge to our faith. We will become more steadfastly rooted in Christ. It's going to get harder and harder to capsize us and sink us in life's storms. And we will grow into what? Verse 15. Rather, Paul says, speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Christ's likeness is our goal. So our growth both comes from Christ, beginning of their verse 16, 
and its end is Christ. All we have is Christ. We grow into him. So contrary to false teaching that can whip us around like boats in the sea, like spiritual infants who are vulnerable, we grow steadily into spiritual adults who speak truth and grow in love. So dear Christian, you may be, have been a Christian now for months or decades, but look at your progression, your trajectory as a Christian. Is it growing? Or has it been stunted in its growth? So as you pick up the book of Galatians and look at this famous list of fruits of the Spirit, do you see little of those fruits in your heart? Do you see lack of victory over sin? Do you see little to no affection for Jesus? You're not meant to stay there. Seek out the community of the body of Christ and continue to grow into spiritual adulthood. That's your goal. That's your nature now as a believer in Christ. And as a church, as the body of Christ, we then proclaim to a world full of lies the message of the truth. And we proclaim it in love. I, I wonder, Christian, as you see that phrase that we if, if you've been in church for any length of time, you've heard before, speaking the truth in love, which side do you tend to err on? So do you tend to be more of a truth teller, no holds barred, or more of a, a love shower? Both are equally important, and both need each other desperately. Truth without love will become brisk, unkind, and harsh. We've experienced that, sometimes in ourselves. And love without truth will prove itself spineless, wishy-washy, unstable. We must have both. We must have a truth that loves the one to whom it speaks, and we must have a love that knows where it stands, what its foundation is in truth. In church family, don't we see both those things so perfectly in the cross? In all their glorious fullness, we see them at Calvary. We see that harsh truth that God's demands, God's justice demands blood shed. That his wrath will not be held back forever. And that it's powerful enough to kill his only son. And yet, and yet we see in the starkest horror of history the starkest truth that stuns us to our knees that's all the culmination of God's plan of love his kindness to unworthy sinners like you and me at the cross we see love and truth embrace so it should be in our words church Love and truth embracing. And there in verse 16, we see how the body then, how we are to grow up into Christ, into maturity, into a healthy church that looks like Jesus. Paul says we are to grow into Christ, 
from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What a vision for the church. Each part necessary. Each part different. Each part essential. And in the end, every member of the body, every member of the church, helping the church as a whole reach Christ-likeness. I love how Paul Tripp puts it. He says, your life, Christian, is much bigger than a good job and understanding spouse and non-delinquent kids. It's bigger than beautiful gardens, nice vacations, and fashionable clothes. In reality, you, Christian, are part of something immense, something that began before you were born and will continue after you die. God is rescuing fallen humanity, transporting them into his kingdom, and progressively changing them into his likeness. And he wants you to be a part of it. Christian, do you catch the vision of what it means to be a member of the body of Christ? What it means to be a member of this local display of the church called Loudon Valley Baptist. As a church, we're being caught up into this plan to save sinners. And we engage in that plan in part by growing up into spiritual maturity together. Paul says we're joined together. We are held together. We're diverse. Some have louder gifts. Some have quieter gifts. Some have more gifts. Some have less gifts. Some are going to be involved in every single church activity. Some are going to be involved in just a few church activities. But we're all necessary to the health of this body. He also says when every part is working properly. See, we are in this together, but we are still individuals in the body. And so it's Christian, you're especially member of Loudoun Valley Baptist Church. Your personal holiness, your personal pursuit of Christ means something, not just to you, but to us. If one little part is infected, it can have disastrous consequences on the body as a whole. And the same is true for the church. So we watch out for one another. We all end up sick and infected from time to time, and we need those to come alongside us and point us back to the great healer, to Christ, as he perfects his body towards heaven. We're doing this together. We're persevering to heaven together. We strain forward to Christ, and we carry one another along at times to that end. So how are we doing, church? Are we building ourselves up in love? A good litmus test for this is how we speak to one another. Down in Ephesians 4, verse 29, Paul says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. You see how he gives a practical point about how we are to build each other up. It's in how we speak. How are we doing? 
You know, I look at our church family and I see so many reasons to rejoice. I see so many of you serving and sacrificing to build up the body, to see it grow. And starting with me, I also see much room to grow. And that's always going to be the case until Jesus comes back or calls us home. But he's given us his spirit, and he's promised to hold us fast. He's given us jobs to build up the body with the gifts he's given us, whatever those may be. So let's get after it. And when the growing pains come, which they will inevitably do, let's persevere together. It's going to be worth it all when we see Jesus. Let's pray.